Here comes the pitch. You are tuned into the Breaking 500 podcast. We are two like-minded friends that were done trying to navigate through debt management, financial planning, and professional experiences alone. Breaking 500 is defining a winning record. In sports, a team's performance is characterized by losing or winning most games. In life, we define 500 as building a strong financial base and understanding. Breaking 500 is when you build for the future. Enjoy today's episode. You are listening to Breaking 500. Hello, Mauricio. How's it going? Mike, it's good to hear you. It's good to hear your voice, my friend. I'm yes, doing yes. well. Yeah. So it's been, uh, it, it's definitely been an exciting and eventful, uh, I guess you would call it a uh, end of the year for you, correct? Uh, yeah, I would say, I would say, yeah, for, for both of us, right? I, let's yeah. not, uh, let's not, you know, shine the spotlight too much on one person, right? I think this is, <laughs> this is both of our limelights, but yeah, I think this has been a really interesting year for me personally. A couple of things changed on my side. I know a couple of things have changed on your side as well, but yeah, all, all exciting things, all things that are designed to break 500 and, you know, shamelessly promote the brand, right? Uh, building yeah. generational wealth for both myself, my future generations. Uh, but yeah, just closing a house and I'm super excited and it sort of feels like my wallet is completely open. Now I just have to be very precise on how I spend it and make sure that I invest correctly to start building some equity in this place. But I'm super excited, Mike. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's something that we'll have to get into, you know, in another episode, just kind of your entire experience of closing on a house, you know, especially in a different state, how that uh, is working for you. But today we are here to talk about investing. So last episode, we uh, focused on the how to manage the pitfalls or avoid the pitfalls of debt and basically understanding the good debt versus bad debt. And then, you know, if a person gets their uh, their debt under control, you get it to that point of, okay, I feel good about the progress that I've made about uh, I've made on my debt. Moving forward, what's that next step? And I think for you and me, it's about okay. Now that I, now that I have my debt under control, how do I continue to uh, become better financially? And I think that next step is uh, is is looking into investments. Understand the playing field. Fix your own situation at home, you know, make sure that you are right and that, you know, again, you're breaking even and then some, right? Then once you start really having your head above water, like what do you do with that, right? You know, I know that initially we said, hey, start up a savings account. That's super basic stuff, but it's it's a big step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You get to a point where the savings in there are good. They look like a good number. You know, I, I know uh, I, there was a point in my life where I would just check it because it made me feel good about the progress I was making, right? But it wasn't growing. It wasn't growing at like the rate that I would like it to, right? It only grew as much as either I was employed and investing in it. You know, one of the things that I did find interesting was when I would get my paper statements. And again, this is a throwback. Uh, I'm not that young, although I act it and look it. <laughs> but I would say that there was a line item there that said that uh, there was returns basically that the bank would give me. And I was like, I mean, they were minuscule. They were like tiny. We're talking less than dollar or something right but i felt like i was in the game you know and so i started asking a couple more questions right and 
talk to my bank, talk to someone who, because again, right, there's no such thing as dumb questions. I felt super weird because I felt like I should have known this. And they were like, well, no, this is what happens when, you know, you put your money in a, in a savings bank. You know, we, we also give you a return on it because if, we also have a couple of things going on that uh, that the bank does, right? And sort of opened up my mind about what other possibilities there are that I could unlock with working through a bank or finances or investing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, um, and again, like once you get through managing your debt, then basically the money that you were using to pay down your debt, once you get through that, now you have additional funds to put somewhere, whether that's in a savings account, whether that's in a you know high yield online account or investments. Mm-hmm. You know, but the name of the game is eventually how do you build a portfolio? And a portfolio is a is a diverse set of different types of investments or savings that maximizes your 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 money, that gives you the optimal amount of returns that you feel comfortable. What does like a starter kit portfolio look like for someone? Yeah, I, I think a starter kit portfolio for someone, one is, I would say, start with a high yield account. And and the trade-off there will be, so like a regular savings account with your bank, like where you do your checking, if you're opening up a savings account with that same bank, the, the positive there is that, you know, you have... You're saving your money, but you have quick access to that if you ever need it. But we all know that's not the name of the game. We're not looking for quick access to the money we're looking to make a long-term uh, you know, gains on. Mm-hmm. We're, we're looking to maximize that return. So start taking a look at you know high-yield uh, savings accounts, right? And you start to get a sense of like what a return could look like, a return of up to 2 to 2.5%. Now, that is all dependent on the timing and where we are right now, the timing of the mark, uh, the timing of just the market, the, the economy right now. And as you know, the federal government has decided to drive the interest rates down as much as possible. Right. And that is in that is to encourage folks to invest, whether that's taking out a loan to get a mortgage or invest into the stock market. So right now you probably won't get, you know, a high yield rate for those online accounts. So in the time like this, I would say the starter kit then is to look at some low index funds that basically mm-hmm. is a collection of the, the total stock market. And you can, there are different types of uh, index funds where there are some bonds that are taken into consideration, or there are some that are a bit more high risk and it's maybe focused on like, you know, tech uh, stocks, but um, there, there's a, I would say go for like a low index fund and, and uh, one, you know, stock ticker that I tell folks that I really like is uh, VTSAX, which is a Vanguard total stock market um, index fund. And it's a low expense ratio, but it's a, it's definitely going to push the risk factor for me, that's okay, and I think that should be okay for most folks. If your goal and your goal should be minimum, you're looking at a 10-year return here. The return you're looking at is long-term, right? So I think one of the big things that I learned early on in investing was that this is a marathon, right? We are in it to wait. 
right? And there's a couple of different factors there that play into it, especially when you are getting into, you know, individual companies that you're investing in, right? ETFs and some sort of uh, fund, you know, mutual funds, those, those are amalgamations, right, of or collections of different companies, right? But when you really start breaking out to, you know, things or companies that you believe in, you know, you really have to start thinking about long-term, right? These aren't sort of short-term things. And there's some pitfalls there too that uh, I think, you know, we actually want to cover. So yeah. with that said, uh, Mike, why don't you tell me really quickly how you got into investing? I mean, what was it that sort of, you know, got you to uh, use that extra savings and start putting it into uh, into the old market? Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, for me, I started off with an E-Trade account and listening to a few podcasts, but didn't really understand the ins and outs of every company or even how their books looked like or their earnings looked like. I just felt like if I, if I liked what they were doing as a company and I felt like their CEO was really passionate about that company, like it wasn't a hired CEO that was brought on to just clean up. It was, you know, usually for me, for if a if the company's founder is still the CEO, that's a good sign for me. But but I started in in trying to time the market, and that's like I really like this stock, but I want to wait until it like drops a little bit, and then I'm going to get some stocks there. And and what I quickly learned is that you can't time the market, even with individual stocks. Like you, you like. You can't time the market. So the best thing to do is to understand the, the, the companies or understand the funds that are going to get you that return. From a historical standpoint, they've increased their returns over the course of 10, 15, 20 years, right? And then really just start to build a, a cadence of investment, right? Whether it's $1,000 a month, $500 a month, but build a cadence of investment where it's automated. You're putting that that amount of money into your investments. And again, it's it's based on, you know, funds that have performed well over the long term historically or companies that have performed well over the long term historically. And for me, that's where I'm at right now, right? Like I, I am looking at uh, companies that have performed well over the long term. Um, and I'm not really taking too much of a risk as far as if you take a look at Tesla, you know, if one were to take all of their money or all of their savings last year and put it in Tesla at like around $50, $60, you know, a, a, a share. Well, right now, I think Tesla is up around like, what, 400 450 You'd be a really really happy investor but that can change at any moment right that can slow down at any moment so for me that's not really a good indicator of a of a good investment it's just a lucky investment right and and for me i'm looking for more long-term historical data that shows me that can perform along with the market and for me the market has shown historically that it performs at a 10% basis. Like it, it's performed with a 10% return or maybe 8% return, something mm -hmm. like that. And I'm, I'm happy with that. Not all your eggs are in that basket, right? Like that, that scenario where you painted where somebody empties out their entire savings and dumps it into like one 
you know, company, the opposite of that is that one, you're over, you're super overexposed and exactly. it can tank tomorrow. Exactly. So, you know, that's a terrifying situation. No, I mean, and again, right. I think I've learned a lot from you just over the last course of uh, our, our you know, friendship in the last few years, I've learned about, you know, some of the things that, you know, piqued your interest, some of the things you've read and, you know, I'll be honest, you know, for me, I had always known about the market, right. But the market always seemed like something for folks who made millions of dollars or who had that kind of cash to sort of toss around, right. That vision of that wall street trader who talks about millions and hundreds of thousands as if, you know, it's just a common number, right. So it seems super out of reach for me, you know, over time, it was something that I wanted to start breaking down. Right. I wanted to say like, I want in, right. Why? Because I worked in tech. I knew that there was a lot of companies that were going public and their mission was simple. And, you know, I knew enough about the companies that I, I think I was like, if I really believed in it, I would totally invest. And to some respect, people would ask me like, Hey, what do you think about this uh, specifically like LinkedIn before they, they went public? Right. And so in that respect, I, I remember saying, I believe in this professional network. I think it's, you're, you know, it's hyper qualified. It's going to be bigger than just like a social network for professionals. It's, it's going to be a lead generator. It's going to be a sales tool. It's going to be a hiring tool. And then I didn't know how to get in. Taking in all that information that's available to you, right? Like any publicly traded company has their earnings available, right? They have their numbers available for you to look into to see like, all right, are they, are they, do they have a reserve in cash? <laughs> are, are they in debt? Uh, who's their CEO, right? Like you mentioned it earlier, right? Like is the original CEO still there, right? Sometimes that's a really good thing. Other times, you know, when they bring in somebody else who has been the CEO for five different companies, you know, it's probably it's, not going to be a great sign, right? Yeah, it's it's usually a cleanup job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like Hewlett Packard or something, right? Like a couple yeah. years ago, like, you know, and then Yahoo had a revolving door. So that was, you know, again, you start picking up all these telltale signs, but you sort of have to have your spidey sense sort of attuned to this stuff. It, it becomes that common language for you. So I realized that, like, I should have just done my homework and asked more questions earlier. Now the bar of entry is actually pretty low. There's all these apps that I think we're going to talk about a little bit later, really allow you to get in at a really cheap cost. One of the areas why I wanted to sort of kick this conversation off was because we've been hearing a lot about the market as like a big buzzword, right? And the market in the last like two years, even in the last, let's just say the last year, and let's hone in on the last nine months, has shot through the roof. Like it's insane, right? And, and the president yeah. has been touting that, right? Yeah. But, you know, when you hear people say like, well, the market's great. It's like, how are you benefiting from the market right now? Yeah. And then you look, you have to look at our employment rate, right? Like, is there is there sort of a line up there, right? And if there one or two of those things are misaligned, you have to really start asking, like, again, okay, uh, who's really benefiting from this, right? And how how are companies yeah. growing in dis despite some of these things, yeah. right? So, and who's driving the market, right? Exactly. So, like yep. the past, like for the past ten years, I think it's really been the top tech, right? Yeah. And so they've been shouldering that market, which is exciting, right? Before like tech and it, it's probably paving the way for tech companies to kind of like uh, follow follow suit. But it's also, it's also a little bit frightening because now like if any of those like FANG companies, and when I say FANG, I mean Facebook, Amazon, Apple, NVIDIA, and Google, a correction on the FANG acronym. 
I mentioned it stood for Facebook, Apple, Amazon, NVIDIA, and Google. The N actually stands for Netflix, not NVIDIA. So the correct list of companies included in the acronym are Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Now back to the show. If those like top like you know tech stocks start to stumble, how does that impact the market? It's for the past ten years, they've been shouldering the the gains. We saw Facebook dip eleven percent because of the antitrust lawsuits. What, what does that mean if that were to continue? Mm-hmm. I'm a big soapbox person when it says don't be overexposed. Do not hinge a lot of your gains on a shooting star like like some of these tech companies, right? They should be part of that mix, but they shouldn't be the one, you know, sort of supernova for you because they will rise and they will fall like in the same day sometimes. Privacy protection laws, this is going to shake up a lot of these these organizations, right? Just looking at getting into the game, right? I think we're, we're sort of talking a little bit of like too far ahead, right? But these are some, some of the things there that when you get to that level uh, of investment, right, where you're looking at all these different signals and markers that are potentially impacting your book of business, you pay attention to the news a little differently where we should start, right? Where we want folks to start paying attention to this news and, you know, some of the ways we can start getting involved, right? Um, and so with that, uh, we want to sort of cover a couple of things on, on investing and just, you know, a couple of different forms of investing so that, again, you have these things in your back pocket so that when you are having a conversation with a financial planner, with your accountant, with your bank, or with your company, you can start understanding like what this all means means for you. Mike, very high level, right? Um, there's a lot of types of investments. You want to start off small, right? Because this can be a very sort of scary place. A lot of numbers, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of greens, a lot of reds. In that, some of these types of investments will require a little bit more of like coaching, right? And so we say, talk to us, talk to someone that you trust, talk to an accountant, talk to a CPA, talk to a financial advisor to help you understand what is the right mix for you. Someone who has $10,000 in the market, you're, you're ramping up. If you have $100,000, you have a lot more flexibility. If you have a million dollars, then you, you can be spread out. You can yeah. diversify completely. Yeah, and, and, and to the point of like, you know, talking to someone, be wary and be careful. And I don't think it's as much of a, of a trap nowadays, especially with all the different apps that, like, as you mentioned, that are available and out there for folks to kind of like invest on their own, but definitely be aware of the, of the person that says I can help you out, but then mm-hmm. keep in mind of the cost or the, the, their fee in order to provide you that guidance early two thousands, nineties, like eighties, like that's, how, that's where like folks made their money. Right. It's basically charging you that upfront fee just to even play the game. And then with each transaction, they're skimming some more off the top. Be mindful of the fact that one, you don't really need that. You know, you don't need someone to actually actively manage your fund. But if you need that advice, or if you need a financial planner, you look for their advice. And yeah, definitely go for that. But to pay someone to actively manage your your investments, be really wary of that. Ask questions. If, and I'm not saying it's the, it's the wrong way to go. You have to just ask yourself, like, is it really worth what I'm about to pay as far as a fee versus 
the vanguards, you know, accounts that I can do them on the fidelities, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the different apps, E-Trade, Robinhood, you know, there are so many different ways where you can kind of like get into it yourself. So if you are looking for that guidance, just do the comparison there. Looking at the different levels of entry point, right? Like however much money you have to invest, right? Do your, do your research, right? There's so many resources right now that are available through some of those companies that were that Mike just mentioned that have FAQs that will walk you through exactly like what you're doing, yep. how you're investing, when that trade is getting executed, at what price you're buying, if you sell, what does it mean for you in terms of uh, the duration of time that you held that, and then what that means to the tax man, and then what you have to do at the end of the year. So there's there's so much, right? Um, but again, they've streamlined it really, really well. I think there's a lot of these folks who adapted really well to the internet and their mobile apps, just web apps. So ask questions, but also do your research, right? And then be wary, right? Like, again, if somebody says I can help you out and wants to actually manage your your money, ask a, a million and one questions, right? And, and if that's the right solution, then it, maybe it is, right? Exactly. Mike, really quick, you think we should just go over some of the forms of investing for folks to, to be aware, right? At a very basic level, the one-to-one, right? The private, you invest in a private business. Mike, you have a idea. You come to me. You want to open a creme brulee shop. You found the right location. You ask a couple of friends. You present the business plan. It makes sense to us uh, as your friends, as potential investors. And then we write up a contract that basically says, I will invest this much money into your business and we establish terms that by this point in time, you will pay me back. Once you're in a, in a good financial place as well, then you can either pay me dividends on top of your earnings or whatever we decide, right? But that's super basic, right? That's yeah. the, the most basic entry point there. That's where, invest, that's where like the idea of investing basically originated from. When we're talking about stocks, then, you know, it kind of changes up a, a little bit, right? So this is the sort of most well-known and simple, just buying stock. Uh, you're basically buying an ownership share. You're buying a small piece of that in a publicly traded company like Apple, Facebook, Home Depot, Walmart, uh, TG Maxx, you name it, right? If you can find it online and it is publicly listed, then you can buy into that. I think Amazon is about, it used to be about 1200 bucks. Now it might be around like $2,000. So for $2,000, you could buy one share of Amazon. And that is, that is yours, right? That's your sort of say in the company. That's, that's your one say. Like stocks like Amazon or like for the example that I gave with Tesla, where now mm-hmm. it's at a four, $463 and it's at, it's at the premium and it's probably at its highest. Are you paying a premium at that price or will Tesla continue to grow? And that's one thing about like buying individual stocks that you need to just be kind of like be aware of that. Are you paying that premium or are you actually paying a discount price? I think that's where that 10 year history at the very least helps you to guide that decision that you're just not making like a purchase just based on like one year's worth of data. Yep. And you know, it is because like one year worth of data is not, you know, is not enough to say what that trend will be like for the company. Yeah, I'm glad we paused on that, Mike, because for folks listening, I would say, look at the dinosaurs of the world, right? Like this sort of, again, like a Home Depot, right? Or a Walmart, you know, they have, they have so much time that they've been in, the, you know, publicly traded company, right? That you can, 
see what their trends have looked like, right? Like, and then you can see, did they change leaders here? Did they do some big things here? You can overlay, was there a war during this time, right? Uh, versus, you know, a company that has gone public, you know, maybe two years ago, right? And they've either hyper-accelerated kind of like a hockey stick and, you know, in the, in the world's view, they're like, they can never, they can, you can't lose with this. It's always going to go up. And then something happens tomorrow and then it just comes crashing back down. I mean, think about the WeWork situation, right? Like when yeah. they were going to go public, that was, you know, had they not gone through with a fine tooth comb, you know, that would have been one of those situations, right? Where it would have just massively skyrocketed and everybody's going to get super excited. And then when you look under the hood, it's empty, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, a good a good case study is, uh, is uh, Blue Apron. Blue Apron yep. first went public. I think it, you know, it, it opened up. I'm not quite sure. Seventeen the, bucks, I think. Yeah, seventeen bucks. But quickly, as you as folks start to see, like as folks start to see their earnings quarter of the quarter after quarter, and then folks started to realize that the business model, there isn't really a a moat like a competitive moat around that business model. And then you start to see that other competitors can do it just as easily and maybe at a competitive price at that, where basically I think it, it plummeted to below below $1 at some point. Where, and I think to the point where it basically had to buy back its own stock just to kind of get it back up. I remember seeing it rise and fall, my friend. Why? Because I bought I bought early. I bought at a premium. So again, uh, word to the wise folks, I couldn't stop looking at the news and then eventually sort of shrunk down to like a dollar uh, a pop yeah. or something. And I was like, yeah. this is insane. But, yeah. it's you know, the, uh, uh, you win some, you lose some there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for, and again, like everyone's like investment style is different. Uh, but as long as you're like educated and informed in the decisions that you make, um, you know, that's that's the process that you want to go about doing it. For me, I'm more about like, okay, I, I need historical data for me to feel good about making an investment into a company. And I believe Warren Buffett, if you uh, kind of read some of his uh, articles that he's produced, he, he mimics the same thing. Like, you know, I think like if a Slack, like if like Slack goes public last year, he's not jumping all over that stock like that. Something like that doesn't even interest me. More interested in the, in the, in the companies that he can, basically say yes now this this has like years of data showing earnings year after year positive earnings year after year yeah yeah and, and to the folks listening i mean you know to get this data again sometimes you just have to do a yahoo search a google search there's all these tickers uh and it pops up right it'll give you a history right and you can actually sort through that timeline and it'll toggle the news that happened during that time so Definitely leverage the internet for this stuff because the information's at your fingertips, right? And and we wanted to pause there on the stocks piece because that's that's the biggest piece, right? The one that's most relevant to at least me and Mike right now. Some some of the other things too, and I think I just really want to run through these because they're there's something that you're going to to talk about uh, eventually in your life, but some things you should just know about. So like one of those things is bonds, right? Like buying a bond. It's essentially lending money to an entity, right? Uh, you can buy bonds from the government, right? So it's kind of old timey, right? To do a savings bond or a war bond, but uh, those those types of things like loans, right? And so you can basically cash them out after 30 years, right? And the returns on that are like super, super low. I mean, 
you know, uh, it, it's it used to be sort of like a, I remember hearing this in the 80s or something that people, you know, grandparents would give their grandkids a savings bond of 50 bucks. And then in 30 years, it, you know, maybe mature to like 60 bucks. Probably do want to have a small percent in bonds and probably the time to buy bonds or is when the market is doing very well. You can, and when I say market, I mean the stock market. You want to buy into bonds when the stock market's doing very well because you can get the bonds at a, you know, at, at a premium, really premium or low discounted price. You don't throw your entire like cash portfolio at bonds. I I look at bonds as here is my emergency fund alternative because when the stock market crashes, that's when bonds usually tend to like go up. Okay, if your if your investments in the stock market has gone down for the time being, well now you can look to your bonds. Um, then you can you can see that it's gone up probably not by much right and especially if you're talking about like corporate bonds it's probably not even going up by anything because again like if the company is not doing well it's probably going to continue like the, their corporate bonds probably are not going to be worth it it's a little bit more of a fix exactly but the u.s treasury treasury bond that's for the most part is something that will tend to go up if the stock market go, goes down and I kind of look at bonds as like, okay, that's something that I am investing in as like, I think of it as another emergency fund type of type of account. Let's go into mutual funds. So for the folks uh, listening here, this is a pool of many investors that uh, is invested broadly in a number of companies, right? So uh, some funds are actively managed by a fund manager, right? So they pick companies in which to put their money in, right? And this type of investment is pretty diversified and less risky. I remember, I, I know some banks do this, uh, some financial institutions do this as well. The fund manager piece is a job. In New York, there's there's a dime a dozen, met, met a lot of those folks. And it's interesting, they have an interesting role. I remember they sort of look at what, uh, what they should put this money in, right? Sometimes there's like a pool of money that they're actually actively managing. And they look for the types of investments. And I think that's a that's really interesting because they usually have their pulse on something. You know, so if you know somebody like that, it's always good to ask what, what they're looking at. And I think like nowadays, especially with the like the different types of like funds that are popping up, like the VTSAX that I mentioned, there yep. are different levels of risk that you can push, right? And yeah. And in, as you know, with investments, the best, the best thing or the best thing on your side when it comes to investing is time, right? So if you're younger and you don't need that money anytime soon, there are investments or mutual fund accounts that can say, you know what, I want my mutual fund to be all stocks. So mm -hmm. there are like total stock market funds where it doesn't include any bonds or anything of that sort or there are mutual funds that are a little less riskier where it kind of it diversifies the types of investments that are in there, like such as not only stocks, but bonds, maybe a few commodities. There's a lot of nuance to those. So I think, I think it's always worth looking into those, right? Another one that sort of segues nicely into that are exchange traded funds. So the ETFs, these are going to yeah. get thrown around a lot. You know, similar to mutual funds, there's a collection of investments. Uh, ETFs are bought and sold on the stock market and the price moves throughout the day. ETFs are fun to look at. There's a, a lot of them that sort of 
you know, range. I, I typically look at tech stuff, but there's a lot of clean energy ones. There's a lot of, I, I think even vice ones too, which are sort of uh, interesting too, like, like alcohol, alcohol, tobacco, firearm, that kind of stuff too. So ETFs, you would say the difference between an ETF and a mutual fund is that an ETF is also a collection of investments, but it's focused on an industry of stocks. Mm-hmm. Like you can have an e- like an oil ETF, or you can have a you know cannabis ETF, right? Like it, it's a collection of different stocks, but that may be focused on in one on one industry. Is that is that a, a correct? Yeah, it's, that's that's a pretty good assessment, Mike. Your 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 definitions are actually cutting through mine. You know, they're sort of. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you don't get to choose your facts here, folks. But uh, you can't choose your definition. Whatever we can synthesize best for folks is is a true takeaway. So, the following ones. So, retirement plan, four hundred one ks. Like this yeah. is a big one for folks for young professionals, early professionals who are entering in the the beyond the entry point. You know, when you really start working with companies that have this offering, it's always good to ask and get involved. This is basically uh, for the for working folks like you and I. It's uh, these are retirement plans, right? Um, some and companies sponsor them. It's this is what you put money into every year through your paycheck, uh, and there's a certain amount that you can cap out at every year. And yeah. you know, if you do hit that cap, which you know is awesome, it's pre-taxed money from your paycheck. It basically frees up a lot more for you at the end of the year, but basically you will tap into this, you know, when you retire, right? It's what yeah. is, yeah. what's going to keep your lights on. Maxing out the 401k, if you can max that out, because mm-hmm. again, because it's the, it's pre-tax, right? You're not getting taxed on that, on that amount. So that's for me, the best approach, but even if okay, so let's say you're not maxing out your 401k at the very least, make sure you're hitting the match from your company, right? Um, mm, yeah. So if, if, we so didn't mention that exactly. So if your company says we'll match up until five percent of your salary or six percent of your salary, make sure you're ma- you're 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 hitting that match because that is probably the best return on money that you can probably get. It's a hundred percent return, right? Oh, it's free money. Yeah. It's free money that you're getting that. Uh, so out of every, all of the investments that we're talking about here, if your company offers a match, that is a hundred percent return on that money you put in. That's and, and then some, and then add in the, the gains on top of that. So for me, that is a no brainer. If there's a match, do it. Absolutely. So again, yeah, when it comes to your 401k folks, again, always ask what com- what percentage your company does match. If it's 100% awesome, do it. And then you get to that goal. If it's 50% great, if it's 30% great, just do it. And I think this is something that you can actually carry with you. If you don't stay at that company or you don't stay at that particular job, then you can move on and you can carry it with you. And you roll it over into whatever plan the other company offers. I didn't know that. I had two at one point and I was like, what am I doing with this? Why don't I just consolidate them? Always good to, to have that. It's it's basically what also will help when you go ask for a loan, right? It's yep. what is considered as part of your whole asset and what you can bring to the table when you're asking for a loan from the bank. And also keep in mind the vesting periods on your 401k. That is very important as well. 
super important. Touches in, even on on the stock piece. Exactly, but um, you know, it's 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 probably not something we'll dive into right now. But keeping in mind that you are also aware, but you, when you go to your HR, you're aware of like what the investments are. Reading the rules, right? Um, when you're getting into the game, it's all fun and games, and it's awesome to see these surprises and falls. But at the end of the year, where uh, vesting really plays into into account, and and either cashing out too early, that might actually impact you. The tax man's going to come knocking. It, there's always some string attached to that. So again, just be mindful that you look at all kinds of restrictions when you do sell, when you do buy, and then you know when you're looking to cash out and, and leverage some of this stuff for bigger investments. Last but not least, I think there's two areas that I want to cover on Forex and cryptocurrency. Forex has largely been heavily regulated here in the United States. Uh, I think there was only about three companies that were doing it primarily, but there was some regulation that was passed. It pumped the brakes on that industry. And basically what you're doing with Forex is you're doing currency trading. You're investing in the U.S. dollar and you're buying the euro. The kind of returns you get on that are fractions of a cent or fractions of the movement of that currency. If you really want to look at, at investing in that, only if you are investing millions will you start seeing some incremental gains. But for someone who is just trying to get, you know, and starting to invest, like my professional advice is this is not the place to get started. No, um, no. Looking at very small, small, small changes that would happen throughout the day. If you're looking to get rich fast, you're not going to get rich here. And if you're looking to see your money disappear, probably faster than and you know then you've earned it this is a place for, for you yeah that, this is where where you do it exactly yeah uh, although i will say if you're looking to get rich fast probably investment <laughs> is not you know what we're talking about here is probably not, <laughs> yeah. the, way to, not the way to do it uh i you know there, there are if folks are interested you know they can they can uh, hit us up on instagram we can tell you how you know what's the high risk way of losing money fast um but that's not really what we're aiming for here, the, the get rich fast. We're again talking about kind of like that 10, 15, 20 year mark. We don't have a crystal ball and I'm looking at things sort of like measured, right? I'm taking calculated risks and you know, some of these things make the most more sense for me. Some of them don't, right? Forex does not make sense to me for my portfolio. Cryptocurrency, it's been around for a really long time. I think it was 2016 where it just really yeah, the Bitcoin bros came out, right? Everybody was talking about Bitcoin and like looking at that price. And it, it was, that was probably the most insane I'd ever seen some kind of like secondary market of a currency that isn't really, it's not backed by any government agency. So it's, yeah. it's interesting, but that one fluctuated what, like within a week, I remember that. Yeah, uh, I mean the, yeah, like the returns that year were pretty crazy. I mean, even this year, out of everything, I think you're talking about like a, like a return of 90%. It's definitely, uh, it definitely rises, but I think it's the most volatile out of everything here. So it's, it's just something that I, I kind of view Bitcoin as like, um, as like a, as gold, where gold is a little bit more stable, but I view Bitcoin as can't really use it anywhere it's not a currency in my opinion right now you're, you're really just banking on a group of people or a community to really drive the value but it's not really 
based on, you know, how it can be used as a currency. You, you touched on it, right? There's a community of people who are really bought into this that are propping it up. Internet-based companies or exchanges, some communities operate off of that. So it keeps it alive, right? And it does give it, you know, some people are willing to put, you know, some real finances behind it. So that kind of inflates its actual value. It's one of these things that if the community walked away from this tomorrow and they were like, we no longer believe in Bitcoin and what it does, it's an interesting product for sure and an interesting concept, but we don't believe in it anymore. The price would shoot down, right? Because everybody's walking away. The interesting um, sort of ideology to believe in it at the same time. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And, and the fact that it's not a currency or it's not backed by any government is too much risk for me to but really put a significant amount of my portfolio into right now. That, that one's pretty low on the list for me. But for folks out there listening, do what makes sense for you again, right? Yeah, uh, what we're are your not goals? Giving, does this, does, we're we're this not going to give you financial advice. We're just giving you <laughs> like basically information, bits and pieces. You can consider this entertainment, you know, about like how, like what we think about, you know, um, the, you know, investing, but by no means is this us giving, you know, financial advice. I, I'm going to double down on that in that this has largely been our experience. This is how we view it. Again, the big things here that uh, we just want most folks to leave with is that you can get into the game, understand what you're getting into, you know, read the news, uh, look at the politics, right? Look at the leaders, look at the products. Is this something you believe in? And then refer to the data. And, you know, if you want to invest, by all means, do it. Think about it as what does this fall in line with your goal? Uh, are you thinking about investing as a short-term play or a long-term long-term play? And again, right, if if it's short-term, there may be some things that might impact you. Like think the tax man, think just having a higher paying a higher tax on what you you gain from yeah. those initial investments. Yeah, talk about you know, a little going, bit about that uh, kind of like short-term versus mm -hmm, long-term yep. gains and how like what's the timing where basically you see benefits from waiting a certain amount of period versus you know selling that off you mentioned the tesla stock component right like again when it was 50 bucks and then the next day like shot up to 400 bucks right let's just say like that's the world we live in if i bought yesterday at 50 bucks and tomorrow it shoots up to 400 bucks and then i sell tomorrow i've only, one i've only had the stock for about a day and two, I'm basically short-term selling that investment. What that means is I'm basically paying, going to pay at a higher premium on what I gained, right? So for the 50 bucks, 400 on that 350, but that 350 is going to be taxed heavier because I sold way too soon, right? Um, the, the best scenario is that you hold it for at least a year, a year and a day, I think that's the rule. And then it becomes a long-term play. And then from experience, you see how that stock can perform within a year, right? So did ebb and flow, did it grow, did it dip? And then you have that opportunity to sell and not get impacted so much by the tax man. One big rule I learned when uh, yeah, I got really excited uh, yeah. and, and started sort of making these kind of trades. And, and I would also say uh, another, another thing about short-term versus long-term is the magic of compound interest now it's not magic compounding monthly interest right the longer you have your um your money in the 
market or in that investment, um, the more compounding interest takes into effect, right? Um, and uh, compound monthly uh, interest calculators that you can, I think Investopedia has one that you can basically plug in the numbers. You say, what's your starting contribution? What's your, you know, what's your monthly contribution? What's the expected rate of return? And then you can calculate, and then for how long, you can see the difference of five years versus 15 years. It's going to be a significant amount. And then you're going to see like how that, uh, it's a ho hockey stick uh, effect for that compounding interest over time. This is basically the game of hurry up and wait, right? So. Mm -hmm. With that, it's if we if we haven't sold you on buying into all the, a variety of different kinds of investments and then holding on to those for you know extended periods of time and just sit on that and watch it grow, I hope we've done yeah, that. Exactly, Mauricio. Just as a kind of like a um, like I guess as a last last piece of advice or to close this out here. What would be your advice for folks starting out? Like, how would you tell someone to start out uh, if they were like, okay, great. I love that podcast. What do you do next? Yeah, they, they subscribe to us on Spotify. And, you know, again, they're telling all their best friends about us. And then they're telling their extended <laughs> network about us. You hit the nail on the head early on, right? Make sure that you're out of debt. You've managed that. You have a solid savings. You have safe space for you, which is your six month plan, your rainy day fund. Then you can build on top of that, which is now just savings that you are putting together for a house down payment or something, or just something that you're like, hey, I, I wanted to start another account. Then I would say, start looking at some of these apps, get you a piece of the action, right? Like oh, think uh, Robinhood or Stash. Those are really easy ways to start buying pieces of, of companies and Again, companies that you probably follow, you're starting to do your research, you've heard about them, you've seen them be successful. So I would say get in the game that way and then graduate your way to start buying individual stocks and then looking at uh, mutual funds as sort of a, a way to balance yourself. Because yeah. you don't want to be overexposed in a market that can shoot up tomorrow and then come back down the next day. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, I, I, I agree there. And I think you mentioned it a little bit. I think overall, no matter what you do, if you can't sleep at night, and if your investments keeps you up at night, you need to take another look at investment. You should be able to say, okay, great. I can set it, forget it, and not look at it for a while. Maybe on a quarterly basis, you kind of check it in. And, it's, and I'm not going to say that's an easy thing to do because of excitement. And because of maybe just feeling anxious, right? Because um, like I was like that. Like when I first started investing, I was like, oh, go check it daily, daily. But it doesn't do you any good. And actually, will basically lead you to make decisions that you shouldn't be making, uh, and that are not like uh, rational decisions. So, if you are able to just kind of like invest and sleep easy at night and then just check in on it once in a while, that will serve you better in the long term. I couldn't have said it better myself. I 100% agree with that. So I think I think you just put a nice bow to this beautiful podcast of ours here on investing. So it, it feels good to be back. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right, Marisa. Well, uh, until next time, 
I hope everyone, as you mentioned, took something away from this. And now that you've actually gotten yourself out of debt and you've managed to to get a hold of that, I hope this podcast has provided some some tips for you to start making money off of your off of the money that you make from from your job. So until next time. All right, everyone. Bye.